All right. All right, all right. Uh, if you'd stand for the reading of God's word this morning, that'd be great. So before we read this morning, I just want to say uh, part of the reason we do stand for the reading of God's word is it's a symbolic thing. It's a way of saying to uh, our own hearts that we stand under the authority of scripture. Does that make sense? So we stand under the authority of scripture. And then when we sit, we sit as a means of now being in a posture of reception to then receive the word of the Lord. Does that make sense? So that's part of the reason we do that. It's not just an old timey thing that we do. It's actually a kind of symbolic thing to help us orient ourselves around the text uh, and to also focus our hearts and our minds to receive what God is about to say through his word. So I don't know. I just said that for the heck of it. So uh, our teaching text for today is out of Matthew 18 verses one through five. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly uh, position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Daniel. All right. It's good to be here. Let me get situated here. All right. So it's exciting to get to share with you this morning. I always look forward to it when Pastor Nick asked me to share. Uh, It's uh, truly a blessing and honor. And if you don't know, we're the Kyle pastors here at UNI, and then also over at Upper Iowa University in Fayette, and then Hawkeye Community College. And a couple weeks ago, we shared with you about Chi Alpha and you generously gave so we can go uh, to the campuses. And it's been an incredible first uh, three weeks we've had so far as there's been 62 students who have put their faith in Christ at our three campuses. So let's praise God for that. It's, it's a huge win. As I've shared in the past, I've grown up in church. I grew up in church. And, and when I was in high school, my family started attending a new church. And we, At first, we loved that church. It was passionate. The Holy Spirit moved in power during our services, and there was so much much energy. If you've been in a charismatic church like that, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, The pastor was charismatic. He was strong, and honestly, he believed in our family, and it meant the world to us as he would inspire us to take steps of faith, as he believed in us. For me, I was a scared boy, but he saw a call to preach in my life, and he gave me opportunities to preach, Uh, just really believed in us, and and really called out the best in us. However, as many good things that were happening in this church, there was also some things that when I look back, I realized were some, uh, some warning signs. There were some alarming things that were happening. Uh, for one, everything in our church kind of revolved around our senior pastor. Okay? And I love the guy, but everything kind of revolved around him. When you walked in the church, you knew who the pastor was. His picture is probably up in a couple different places. And you knew who he was. And, and something else that was pretty alarming looking back is if anyone ever disagreed with him, they would get pushed out of the church. And hear me when I say that I'm not hating on this pastor. I'm a pastor now. I know the struggles. I give pastors a lot of grace. But just looking back now, I see that this situation was very dysfunctional. Eventually, my parents became, or became victims to this as well, and our family was pushed out of the church. And it was pretty scary for me as a 17-year-old. And as a 17-year-old, this caused me uh, to get very angry at the church and angry at pastors in general and I wondered could I ever trust the pastor again after what he did to my family and for, the, and for the next few months my family visited different churches maybe you've done this before you visit like a billion churches 
and none of them really seemed to be the one for us. And I hated every single church at the time because I hated church in general. I loved Jesus, but I hated the church is what I told myself. And and there's obviously a lot of bitterness in my heart. But in the fall of 2010, we finally stumbled upon an Assembly of God church plant in Coralville. And we didn't know that it was Assembly of God. We didn't know what the Assembly of God was or anything like that. All I knew is that I hated the fact that I had to set up my own chair before service. I ain't coming to church to set up some steel chair and sit in that. All right? I'm sitting in comfy seats. <laughs> I did not like the church. But there was one thing uh, that was pretty encouraging to me. I could not figure out who the pastor was. I, for the life of me, I could not figure out who the heck is the senior pastor at this church. There's no picture of him anywhere on the wall. <laughs> and there was a guy who would speak every week, but I thought he had to be a guest speaker. Because he was way too laid back, way too humble. He did not talk about how he was the leader of the church. It took about four weeks, and I figured out, oh, that's the senior pastor, the guy who's been the guest speaker for the last four weeks. <laughs> this man was so humble and so meek. I had never seen anything like that in my experience with churches. And this is exactly what Jesus knew I needed during this season, was to see a, a humble servant of Jesus who really modeled Jesus' love and humility to our church. And my relationship with God ended up ended up being restored eventually through this church, and, and that church is what connected me to Chi Alpha here at UNI. And today, that church has grown from 30 of us setting up our own chair to, I think last Sunday, they had 900 people at service. And it's not because that pastor is the most charismatic man in the world or the best preacher, although he's a good preacher. It's because I believe he's authentic and humble and he's following Jesus, and people want to be around leaders who are really modeling Jesus, right? And that pastor... His name is Rich Green. He's now our assistant superintendent in the Assemblies of God, and he's a mentor uh, to so many. So uh, the way that my former pastor goes about life and ministry is so contrary to our culture. He continually lifts other people up, and he walks with a smallness, as as, uh, Pastor Nick was talking about. But he's also incredibly confident. It's not because he's not confident, but he walks with a smallness. I think we all struggle this morning with this idea of trying to take care of number one and trying to assert ourselves over other people. We often struggle with maybe thinking a little too highly of ourselves and not highly enough of God and others. Sometimes, and I am confessing this morning, sometimes we're overly impressed with ourselves. Like, wow, I'm pretty amazing. (laughs) And this form of pride causes us to treat other people poorly as we think we're superior to them. We genuinely think that. And many of us also struggle with having too low of a view of ourselves. We, and this manifests itself in overanalyzing ourselves all the time, criticizing ourselves as we go to bed, overthinking every conversation we had that day and how we screwed it up. Anybody been here? I've been here. That's me like every night. I'm like, oh, I screwed that one up. Maybe it's just because I screw a lot of things up. But anyways, <laughs> but pride is all about thinking of ourselves too much. And it's actually being obsessed with ourselves. That's what pride is. And I think it's safe to say that this is a shared struggle of any human being. You know, C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. The way of the kingdom says we can be confident and secure in Christ, but we'll find the life that each of us are meant to live by going a low road that doesn't try to elevate ourselves. That's the way of the kingdom. Jesus calls us to walk with a smallness and not to get puffed up. So this morning, we're concluding our series a whole new way. And we're going to end this by talking about how Jesus calls us to go the way of a child. 
And that's what we saw in Matthew chapter 18. If you didn't turn there yet, you can turn there in your Bibles. But in case you don't know, the, the Gospel of Matthew is just a biography of Jesus' life and ministry. And prior to our reading today, Jesus had been healing and preaching all over the place. He had gathered a community of disciples who were following him. And here in chapter 18, Jesus gives characteristics of what life should look like in his kingdom. And this chapter goes perfectly with the series as we have been talking about how following Jesus is a whole new way that is so different from the way of the world. You know, Jesus teaches his disciples what the relationship should look like with one another, and he also teaches them what the relationship should look like with the world as a whole. And in this chapter, he stresses the importance of being a lowly person. He explains that the values of the kingdom are not the same values of the world, and that to be in the kingdom of Christ, you have to be different than the world, and you have to let uh, the Holy Spirit change you from the inside out. And I think we can get a few key principles this morning that can really help us. Uh, but before I uh, share those, I just want to read the text one more time, just for sake of, of remembering it. It says, At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change, and that word's key, change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, or therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and, who, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. All right, so I want to pray over that, and then we'll get into it. So Jesus, uh, this morning, we just ask you to give us a revelation. God, I don't want to learn anything else necessarily. I want you to change my heart. God, I pray that you change all of our hearts this morning. We all struggle with pride. But Father, I just pray that you would show us the way of the kingdom that says you take the low road, that says that you don't puff yourself up. You don't try to put yourself on a pedestal, but instead you lay down your life for others. I pray that you show us that this morning. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus' disciples ask him a question that I think we often ask in our hearts. He, or they ask him, who's the best and how can we be the best? They ask, what do I have to do to elevate myself and what do I have to do to achieve all my dreams? And what do I have to do to get God to bless the things I'm doing? And I think that the, that the disciples' question and Jesus' response gives us an important principle. So the first thing this morning is we want the wrong kind of greatness. I think we want the wrong kind of greatness. At this point in the gospel, we're realizing, and the disciples are realizing that Jesus is the Messiah. So Messiah was just this king that Israel was waiting for that was going to deliver them both from spiritual bondage and physical bondage because the, uh, the empire of Rome was occupying their land and, and they believed the Messiah would uh, deliver them from both of these things. So, so we're realizing that Jesus is this Messiah. However, we're still not entirely sure what the kingdom looks like. I don't think the disciples had really a full picture yet of what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like and they were wondering, how can I get a place of royalty in this kingdom? They wanted to know, what's in it for me in this kingdom? How can I position myself to get maximum blessing? How can I elevate my status in this kingdom? And the issue with their question is not that they wanted greatness. I believe the Lord wants us to be great. I believe that. I think our Lord wants us to be used by him and and to lay down our lives like he did. That's what greatness is. But the problem with the disciples' question is they wanted the wrong kind of greatness. And we know this from Jesus' 
or Jesus' response that the kind of greatness that they wanted was obviously not the kind that is about moving the kingdom forward and bringing glory to God. Instead, it was more about this worldly greatness where you get power and comfort and influence for yourself. The reason they asked the question was they wanted to know what they had to do to get a place of stature, a place of importance in the kingdom of Jesus. And I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus is never about us getting a platform or accolades. That is not his way. How many of you have seen the TV show, The Good Place? It's okay, you can admit it. <laughs> it's a show that was uh, created by the same people that created The Office and Parks and Recreation. And this show has a non-biblical depiction of what heaven and hell looks like. And they're called The Good Place and The Bad Place. <laughs> In the show, the way that someone gets into the good place is having the right amount of points. So there's actually accountants in the good place, which uh, makes me think of my wife because she's an accountant. But anyways, uh, and they give you positive or negative points for every good or bad thing you do, respectively. And there's one scene in this show where we meet a character whose entire life has been devoted to racking up as many points as possible so that he can get into the good place. He grows his own food. He never says no when someone asks him to help them. And he lives in the woods so that he can avoid doing bad things. (laughs) And we quickly find that although, uh, statistically speaking, this person's the best person in the world, he's not actually that good. For one, he isn't making a positive impact on the world. He's just hiding from it. And two, his motives are so off. He just wants to secure divine brownie points. I think the disciples are kind of like this character at this point in their journeys. Thankfully, they change, but they want to do good so they can get as many points for themselves as they can. They think, wow, Jesus is a dynamic, charismatic leader. He's overthrowing Rome, and I'm getting a spot right next to him. Come, or come on, hallelujah. That's what they're thinking. Their motives are bad. Their motives are selfish. But in the love that caused Jesus to lay down his life hadn't really gotten in yet to their hearts. So this morning, I want to be bold and ask you a question. What are your motives for being here this morning? What are your motives for doing any religious thing you do? Are your good works and desires rooted in a love for God? Or is it rooted in something maybe more selfish, like trying to appear holy or capture divine brownie points? I love saying divine brownie points. All right, so (laughs) to to the disciples' desire for the wrong kind of greatness... Jesus answers in a way that we don't expect. He takes a child, he places the child in front of them, and says, greatness is like this, pointing down at the little child. And he actually says, actually, getting into this kingdom won't even be an option for you. You won't even get in, let alone be great, if you don't become like this child. Verse 3, he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If we don't change this morning and become like little children, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't get the heart of a child. The kingdom is not an option for us. So the second point this morning is true greatness starts with the heart. To our desire for a worldly kind of greatness, to our questions about what's in it for me, Jesus chooses not to answer our question. Instead, he wants to correct our wrong view of greatness. The way to life, the way to be great is to experience a change, to turn, to go to a new place. 
And the Greek word for change here is strepho, which means to turn or to, to turn around or to be converted. Jesus is telling his disciples that it's not about, the kingdom is not about worldly things. It's not about climbing a ladder, but it's seeing your heart change direction. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom. The way to life is seeing your heart converted in such a way that you become like a child. The kingdom is not about going anywhere or doing anything, although you'll go places and do things, but it's ultimately about becoming someone. It's about having your inside world changed. Jesus is not concerned with what we can achieve or what we can accumulate for ourselves, but he's concerned with our hearts. This has to be our primary concern as well, above anything else. And this is so contrary to our culture. We live in a culture that is all about what we can achieve and what dreams we can realize for ourselves. It's all about securing the maximum amount of comfort and pleasure in this life. And we actually, as a culture, find very little value in people who can't achieve greatness. We find value in the ones that are great, according to the world. Those are the ones we look up to. But to Jesus, it's not about what's out there, it's about what's in here. When Jesus walked the earth, he continually sought to correct a theology that said it's all about appearing beautiful on the outside, but didn't deal with the inside. And he had very harsh words for religious people who didn't take care of their hearts. He says in chapter 23 of Matthew, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the Pharisees and the law, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In Matthew 5, 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it primarily mean when he talks about becoming a child? What does this look like? What do our hearts have to look like? In verse 4 and 5, he gives us a picture. He says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So the last point. Kingdom greatness is humility. When Jesus says that we must become like a child, he's not telling us, to be like a child in every way. Don't start throwing temper tantrums during church. <laughs> he's not telling you to be selfish. What he's telling us is to embrace the insignificance and the unimportance that they had in the eyes of the world. In our culture, children are very important. They're actually the most important a lot of times. But in the ancient world that Jesus was ministering in, children were insignificant because they couldn't fight in war, and they couldn't lead, they couldn't pile up riches, and they, couldn't, and they could not acquire... Uh, they could not get wisdom for themselves. So it was probably pretty awkward when Jesus told these men, or these men to be like the child he was holding because adults were always elevated over children. Think about the contrast between these zealous men who are ready to plant a kingdom and, and take over Rome, and then there's this little child. And Jesus says, be like this one. I don't care how zealous you are, passionate or strong, be like this child. Jesus says, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you've got to be like a child surrounded by men. Jesus is telling us, if we want to be great in his kingdom, we have to leave the way of our culture that asserts ourselves and relies on ourselves and instead 
embrace humility and dependence upon God. It's often said that pride is the root of all sin because pride is saying, or saying that we know better than God, which leads us to act in ways that are contrary to his design. James chapter 4 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, we must wholly depend upon Jesus and not ourselves. And we must be small in our own eyes and not assert ourselves over God or others. The kingdom of heaven is not about being strong or overthrowing others. It's about laying down your life for God and for others. It's about being lowly. So like a child, we must wholly rely on the love and grace of God and know that everything we have comes from him. On Thursday, I had a busy week of ministry, preaching a lot and stuff like that. So I was feeling sentimental because I hadn't seen my baby in a while. And I was sitting in Caribou looking back at old videos of her from back in the spring when I watched her all the time because Emily was working with tax season. And, and this was uh, yeah, between the time that she was uh, three and six months old. And I was blown away by how helpless she was in that season. Like to lift up her head was a great feat. I was taking a video of her going, ah, lifting up her head. <laughs> it's like the biggest thing ever. And she would try to make noises, but, but she couldn't even, like she struggled to do that. If she wanted to be moved, she had but she'd have to wait for me to come and move her. Now she's all over the place. I'm like chasing her around all day long. But uh, I can't help but think that this is what Jesus is getting at here. If we want to get into his kingdom, I think we have to rely on him in the way that Jane relies on me, or the way she did. She's relying on me less and less. But, uh, but we must trust him like Jane trusts me. And we must not find significance in ourselves, but significance in our Father. And not only that, but as Jesus says in verse 5, we must welcome the helpless, we must welcome the lowly, the children of this world into our arms. And we must not turn our noses up at the lowly of this world or only be concerned with connecting with the most powerful and influential people in the room. Instead, we must be on the lookout for the ones who are lowly and love them with the love of Jesus. To me, I think this also looks like engaging the world with humility and lowliness. This looks like this this idea that you engage people with gentleness and love and respect and you never seek to dominate anybody or to retaliate, but instead you turn the other cheek. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this. It says, he called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them, but not so with you. And said, whoever wants to become great among you uh, must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way to life, the way to greatness, is serving. It's not being served. And when we pursue this way, I believe we'll find a whole new way that's far better than the way of this world. We won't be exhausted trying to elevate our own status or thinking back on the day and beating ourselves up because we're not that worried about ourselves, right? Instead, we're just looking for ways to be meek and to serve other people. And we may not get the applause of the world. Actually, you probably won't. But you will get the applause of the one in heaven whose opinion actually matters. So the big idea this morning is this, and it's pretty revolutionary. To be a part of the kingdom of heaven, we must become children. If you didn't figure that out already, there you go. (laughs) What a strange thought. 
What a strange, strange thought. We've been told our entire lives that we have to have it all together. And we have to assert ourselves. We have to work our way up a ladder. But today, Jesus is telling us to decrease ourselves. Do you remember what it was like to be a child? I remember, depending upon my parents for everything, always trusting that they had it under control and knowing that I was incapable of even the most basic needs or things for myself. I believe that Jesus is calling us to go back to that place in our inward world this morning. Do you wake up every day and and recognize the greatness of God? Do you pray the Lord's Prayer, which says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you submit your plans and dreams into his hand by continuing the prayer and saying, saying, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you trust Jesus for even the most basic needs? I don't care how much money you make. Even the most basic things say, Jesus, give me this day my daily bread. Even when I have food in the cupboard, I'm like, Jesus, I, I, I thank you for that. We need to pray that. We need to depend upon him in that way. Do you forgive others easily? This is the hard one. And do you build others up and not tear them down? Let's pray another part of the Lord's Prayer where it says, forgive us our trespasses and forgive those who have trespassed against us. Finally, do you rely wholly on Jesus for your holiness and for living the life that he caused you to live by concluding the, or by concluding the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I didn't plan that, by the way. The worship song was the Lord's Prayer which was cool. I didn't plan that. But I think if we can get that prayer in our bones, I think it'll change us. I think it'll help us to be like a child. In summer, I just want to ask you one more question. Do you spend time with Jesus each and every day and wholly rely on him, knowing that everything you get comes from him? Maybe you've been in the church for a long time and you've kind of figured this thing out. I believe this morning Jesus is calling you to say, hey, I don't got it figured out. I need your help, Jesus. We need this, this desperate reliance upon him. And I think if we can get to this place of not relying on ourselves, not being obsessed with ourselves, but of meekness and reliance, I believe we won't only enter the kingdom, but we're actually going to be great in the kingdom. And you may ask this morning, hey, okay, is, is Jesus saying that in order to get into the kingdom, I have to make myself humble? Is it about earning something this morning? Because it seems like that. I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is he's saying, if you've really tasted his love in a transformative way, and you've been moved by what he did for you on the cross, then your heart will be changed, and you'll become a child. If you're not a child at heart, then you need to have a come-to-Jesus moment, literally, with Jesus, right? where he changes your inside world and you become his son or daughter. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. His spirit coming inside of you. Like Think about this, the Holy Spirit of God coming inside of you and your heart changing is what causes you to be like this. You can't do it on your own strength. So don't go out of here this morning and say, I'm going to be more humble. No, say, I need more Jesus in my heart this morning. And how do we get that new heart? If you haven't gotten that new heart or that new spirit, how do you get it this morning? Well, 
I believe all we must do is look to what Jesus has done for us and trust in that. We must realize the gospel, the good news that he came at the same time that each of us were sinful and headed to hell. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life obeying the law to a T, being perfect. He didn't just do that though. He, he also died a sinner's death on the cross, paying the debt for the times that we've broken the law and making it possible for us to be forgiven. And then not only that, but he went into the grave, and then he rose three days later. And I know if you've been in church for a while, you've heard that a billion times, plus two. But I pray that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what he did for you would, would change you again this morning, that you'd come back to your first love. The fact that Jesus would, would go through all the trouble of coming to earth and, and having to live in this world, and, and we know it's hard, right? And then dying for us, and then and then rising from the grave, I pray that that would change you this morning. I pray that it would change me. In Romans chapter 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. That's all you gotta do to have your inside world change. It's confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then when this happens, we see 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 happen where it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. That's what happens. And I don't care if, if, you're not a, like if you're not a Christian right now, that needs to happen for the first time, but maybe you're already a Christian, and you just need Jesus to do a work in your heart this morning. I pray, and I mean this in the nicest way, and I'm praying this for me too, I pray that the Holy Spirit would crush you this morning. If you've been puffed up, that he would bring you low. Because sometimes we think we got it all figured out. And we don't. We don't know anything, let's be honest. <laughs> so, so what I want to do is I want the band to come really quick. I'm going to pray just for us. And then we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer, just like maybe the chorus or whatever part Jocelyn feels led. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. Because it's nothing I can do. It's nothing you can do. It's something the Holy Spirit has to do completely apart from us, right? All we can do is come to him and say, all right, Holy Spirit, do some work on my heart. Make me like a child. All right, so I'm going to pray as they're coming. Jesus, this morning, we just come to you with humility. Well, we're trying to come with humility, Lord. And God, we just ask you to do an inward work this morning. We don't want to go do anything else religious. God, that's not what we're trying to do right now. We just want to have our inside world change. So Jesus, I pray for those in this room that maybe don't know you yet. And if they want to put their faith in you, Jesus, I just pray right now that that would happen. God, I pray that you'd make new creations all across this room. And God, for those of us who have been walking with you for a little bit longer, I pray that you would humble us this morning and in the, in the most loving way, God, that you would crush us. In the most loving way that you can do something like that, I, pr I pray that you would do that this morning. And Father, I pray that as that happens, that, that you would just, just do a new thing. So God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. All right, we're going to sing this song. You guys can stand, actually. We're going to sing this song. In the